Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom. From comics and video games to science and technology, if it's geeky, we've got it covered. Hi, I'm Cap. Hi, I'm Boar. Hi, I'm Luke. And I'm Trench, Nerdy Show Community Manager. And this is a topical episode of Nerdy Show. That's right, we're talking about the entire scope of the geek landscape here on this episode. Brand new format we debuted earlier in the month, and we are doing it every other week. So that means we're talking about comics, video games, science, technology, movies and television, all that, all that stuff that I say in my intro, we're doing it here on the show um, in no particular order. Let's start with the hottest shit to happen in the past couple weeks, Pokemon Go. So uh, Nintendo had a press conference, they launched a trailer, and this trailer, they showed this majestic augmented reality future world in which you see Pokemon in the real world. Pokemon are coming to the planet Earth via a nintendo's first official mobile app um not uh, not on the ds on your phone uh presumably i iphone and android i believe they've, they've said are, are both go for this confirmed uh, yep. so you you go out in the real world it's a geolocational game and you catch pokemon out in the world how do you say the name of the company niantic labs uh yeah niantic niantic i don't know yeah they uh they made ingress yeah which was hugely popular i know a lot of people that are really into ingress i could never personally get into it i played it a little bit so i kind of understand how it works and i imagine that pokemon go is going to be a little bit derivative i'm guessing from what they showed in that trailer because the trailer was showing a lot of things that obviously can't happen yeah they didn't show anything like that was actually going to be happening on your phone other than maybe Pikachu showing up. Yeah, Ingress, I've, I'd never heard of it, but I looked into it and it's it's like a it's a geolocational, slightly augmented reality, uh, a little bit alternate reality style game on your phone. Yeah. Another thing with Ingress is Google was using the data to figure out where people congregated the most and then they would usually put the portals. Yeah, portals. portals would go in where there was significant landmarks. Yeah, uh, mostly lots of statues. Um, I will we'll link to where you can check out some Ingress stuff on this episode's page because if we started to go down that rabbit hole, ooh, it is complicated. There's a how-to video. It's like 25 minutes long. Right, but I'm guessing that Pokemon is going to be similar. Very. Uh, kind of wondering how they're going to do that because you know, they show in this trailer this event where you fight Mewtwo and it requires like an entire crowd of people to beat Mewtwo. Yeah, it shows Times Square being flooded by people playing this game to take down Mewtwo. And that's the only, yeah, apparently the only way to catch like Mewtwo. And I guess it extends to probably the other legendary. So I was curious as to how they're going to decide where to, you know, make that happen. Yeah, my guess is they'll probably have like legendaries be at really popular places around your town to encourage you to go out and walk around and blah, blah, blah. 
like they did with Ingress. I don't know how many are going to be in Nashville. Probably more than you would think. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's I mean, the biggest thing that I'm wondering about actually is is how exclusive are things going to be based on location? I can kind of see like the the positive and negative of having exclusives because one it's it's neat having exclusives and like the idea that uh, you run into somebody who has like Magneton and like oh you can only get that if you went to Chicago. I don't know if it'll be like that location locked. It'll probably be more like how high traffic is the area, right. and then I would guess that they would probably dole that down to relative to certain radiuses and stuff like that. I don't I don't think that they will lock it out like that, but maybe they will. I mean, maybe they'll only have some legendary Pokemon available in you know New York. As you were saying that the complexity of Ingress and how is it going to translate to this Pokemon game, I think they're going to simplify it a great deal. Um, and we've, we've said uh, augmented reality game, and it is kind of. like It looks as though you can hold up your camera and you'll see a Pokemon sitting in a field if you're in a park or something. Um, and and uh, Miyamoto said that it reminded him of Pokemon Snap as a successor to Pokemon Snap. So there will be some um, some augmented reality portion of it. However, the technology is quite simply not even remotely good enough to do the stuff they were showing in the trailer. Right. There's no way. Yeah. Even with Microsoft's HoloLens, if Pokemon Go was going to be launched on HoloLens, I would still be doubting what they were trying to pull off with that trailer. Yeah. Uh, which is which is fine. It's, it's proof of concept. And, and we're not too far away from what they were showing in that trailer, realistically speaking. But it's simply not going to happen. However, being able to go to a map figuring out what parts of the world, what regions, what's in, what environments certain kind of Pokemon would live in and discovering Pokemon there to capture, that is a real thing. I would argue that we're really far away from that. Yeah, you think so? Yeah, because even, like I said, even if it was HoloLens, I would still doubt it because HoloLens would have more equipment that would be able to not only present that to you in an augmented reality type of way where you wouldn't have to hold up a phone and look through it, uh, but it also would have more 3D processing capabilities and able to map out your location yeah. and stuff like that. And I still think it would be extremely lacking. I figure like 10, 10 years top. Mm, yeah, maybe. That would be nice if it only took 10 years to have really good augmented reality. But hey, maybe Microsoft isn't lying and it'll be really fantastic really soon. We'll see. We'll find out pretty soon. Yeah. But uh, the, the whole going out and, and experiencing the world with this electronic device and interacting with the world of Pokemon... That's a pretty dynamic thing. Bringing the indoor kids out, man. Yeah, I mean, that, that was the goal, really. Um, Iwata, before he died, was working on this project, and he talked a lot about wanting to um, you know, bring people out into the, into the world and kind of create that bridge into, into real-world exploring. The uh, amusing mental image that I've got is of people, of, of adults, that are in board meetings or at their day jobs that get up and walk out the door to go catch Pokemon because that you know event is happening right now and there's only way <laughs> they're not going to be able to get it anytime soon. we got a 15 minute lunch break here. Scyther's passing right now. Fuck you guys. <laughs> they also said that they didn't want people to be glued to their phones so they had that uh, wristband. Yeah, they've created this thing. I guess it's it's optional. It's called Pokemon Go Plus and it's a device that you wear around your wrist has a little Pokeball symbol on it and it pairs with your phone and has a rumble and flash feature when you come across or interact with the Pokemon in the real world use it to actually throw a Pokeball out there. I don't know if it actually has motion capabilities to, to detect that, like an accelerometer or something, Yeah. Uh, but it does tether that. And that way, uh, kids and parents can both use this because you're not necessarily going to give a kid your fancy cell phone and be like, all right, go off into the world. But you can go with your kid with their own um, Pokemon Go Plus around their uh, wrist 
and go out into the world and then you can catch Pokemon together. I imagine they would probably also push that out to Android Wear and Apple Watch. Yeah, probably. So that way you wouldn't have to wear two things. It's like an invisible leash. Your kid won't go that far away because he'll lose signal on Pokemon. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose that's better than an actual literal physical leash like some people do you know you laugh at those until you see a kid not get run over by a car because they pulled him up on the leash (laughs) (laughs) have you seen that is that a thing that you've seen that happened yep he was headed for the street the mom went snap and then he didn't get hit by a car i was like oh all right then i was gonna say i I think though for like one of that you see like 10 people dragging their kids because they're you know being brats oh sure but i mean shitty parents are gonna shitty parent now i've played location-based games before there's a a ghostbusters app called paranormal blast if i remember correctly that i I still have on my phone i play it from time to time there's really nothing to it uh, you know, if you go to a certain kind of location as indexed in Google Maps, like a like a coffee shop, like a Starbucks, you will encounter certain kinds of ghosts. And it's really loose. And you basically you can fight the ghost anywhere. And the camera is just a, a portal. And there's just a, a 3D object just floating at you. There's no real environmental interaction or anything. Uh, that's the like lowest common denominator version of what augmented reality technology could be. I was going to say, and Doug was telling us about that recently and he was saying that that locational dependent ghost type stuff doesn't even really happen i talked to these guys at tax east years ago and it is far below what they said it was going to be like they just didn't maybe they didn't have enough time or whatever but it is just not as developed as it should be now this this is a big deal because ingress is actually you may have never heard of it before because i didn't i'm telling you right now guys this thing is actually huge there are have been events like the style of the mewtwo event that we were talking about with like hundreds or thousands of people attending them. Uh, it's big. The, uh, the, the tutorial I mentioned about um, the 25-minute the tutorial, that's from a guy in London, and he shows you all the maps, and you can see all the different points of activity and everything, and be like, my God. Like, especially if you're living in an urban environment like, like London, you, there's a whole other world, a true alternate reality game happening on top of you at all times. Yeah, the only thing I'm worried about with Pokemon Go that's different from Ingress is that whole using the camera feature because a normal phone's camera doesn't have any sense of depth because we only have two-dimensional cameras right now right so uh, my concern is that it's not going to know how far away that bush is that pikachu is coming out of so how is it going to scale pikachu properly and how is it going to know that that's a bush if i had to guess because they really haven't been too forthcoming with details on what the actual game looks like I would say you capture the Pokemon in kind of a virtual setting and it doesn't really integrate into the landscape because because the processing power just isn't there. Right. Uh, it would maybe just turn into like, you caught this Pokemon. Now you can arrange the Pokemon in uh, in sort of a, a pictorial sense and do your own Pokemon snap thing and be like, I just caught this Charizard here in downtown Orlando. And there he is next to the big fucking fountain for some reason, even though he's a fire type. Right. And, uh, you know, he gets thirsty too, but then he's weak and that's when you catch him. That's why a lot of augmented reality apps for your phone and two dimensional cameras like the iToy, they need those little, they look like simplified QR codes to mm-hmm. put down. So Glyphs. that way a 2d camera can understand what kind of surface that it's on. Yeah. I mean, as seen in the, uh, with the 3ds actually, they, yeah. they use, uh, AR glyphs all the time and well, they have a 3d camera because they have two cameras. Yeah. So uh, we don't really know what form this is going to take, and it's, pro- it's definitely not going to be what the trailer's like, but it could evolve, and they, they, do, it, they do in fact expect it to evolve quite a bit. Um, Are we going to be able to just hand it the Thunderstone <laughs> and then it evolves? How is that going to work? <laughs> this guy. I'm saying you beat me to the punch. Uh, Pokemon designer Junichi Matsuda, uh, Junichi Matsuda said, I'm thinking about how this game will connect with titles in the main series of Pokemon games. 
So we can see Pokemon Go, uh, maybe pull your Pokemon over into the games themselves. You can definitely trade these with friends within Pokemon Go. Um, it's it's a really cool feature. And as Caitlin Kruger, Nerdy Show fan, says, goodbye money and cellular data. I don't think it's probably going to cost that much money. I think the cellular part is part of what's got as the most exciting part to me is because this is it's Pokemon on a platform that uh, that everyone has. Uh, so like there's there's this you know experience of of the Pokemon trainer where you can just run into somebody you've never met before, challenge them to a battle, and have a good time right there. Maybe even make a new friend. It's really hard to achieve if you don't live in like a really dense urban area where you're likely to run into somebody else who has their DS on them. Uh, but with the cell phone, everybody's always got their cell phone. So if the especially if there's some kind of like locate an opponent feature, it'll be really easy to pull off. Yeah, I don't. I think your money's going to be safe. I think your battery life is going to be the thing that dies. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely the case with me. Oh, yeah. Ingress, holy crap, will that eat your battery? And it's not even trying to process visual data. <laughs> I've never really run the camera for a long period of time. I don't know how that is on battery usage. Uh, lethal. Yeah, really bad. <laughs> oh, there you go. Especially if it's trying to generate 3D graphics and overlay them at the same time. To the end of how deep this geolocational uh, exploration is going to be, Nerdy Show fan David Van Pelt says, Would the fishy types only be found near bodies of water? Will I only find geodudes at quarries and in the mountains? If I go spelunking, will the game spam Zubats? Are Girafferig only on the Serengeti? These are questions that I have wondering myself because I don't live in a dense urban area. Like you, even if I went down to Nashville, which is close, it's not really a pedestrian city. So like how much am I going to miss out on because I live in the boonies? Well, well, they're just, or will I have my own si- uh, batch of content that is exclusive to living in the boonies? I was going to say there's that. And then there's the fact that, you know, you won't get cell reception while spelunking. Yeah, that, that's that's very true. Uh, you, you, or maybe as soon as you lose connection, it's like, oh, you must be in a cave. Zubat, Zubat, Zubat. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I guess to that end, uh, Luke, there will be stuff in cities that will be super duper targeted. But then in more rural areas to make sure everybody can play, it'll probably have an algorithm that sources out stuff from, you know, from Google data that will apply the Pokemon and maybe an abstract sense to different locations. So there should be stuff, maybe especially because you're in the boonies. It's Pokemon, after all. Pokemon is a pretty rural world. So uh, if you got fields and forests, then you might be just fine. Oh, yeah. I could I could be at some tall grass in 30 seconds. Now, will you be able to trade with other Pokemon trainers? That's the rub. But fortunately, <laughs> you'll be able to identify them via their attractive wristband. And what he what he mentioned about, like, uh, Drafrigs and the Serengeti and all that, he also elaborated to, uh, it, would, it would be keeping with the age-old Pokemon formula to have some Pokemon be specific to certain countries, thus encouraging the player to make international friends. Yeah, I can see them trying to get you to explore your own city, but I don't think they're going to force you to travel to other cities and or countries to get all of the Pokemans. I would be very impressed, genuinely impressed if it went to that extent, though. I would applaud that. I'm going to assume that they've got some kind of wonder trade feature in it, like what x and y had you just you know send a random pokemon out and get a Ah, random one back if you can trade freely with anybody uh anybody else then that would kind of i guess that kind of eliminates the specialness of exclusives though so i don't know but yeah so pokemon go there's just not a lot of uh information yet but man the excitement is tangible because the the prospect of, of something doing even remotely what's implied by this geo game i mean it's fun to go out in the world it's fun to do geocaching and here's one with with cute cartoon animals that I think we can all get into. Yeah, we talked a lot about the limitations of it, but I think you know, I think we're, we don't want to undersell the fact that we're all really excited for this. At least I am. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see where they take it. I will probably even play it, even though I don't do very many Pokemon type things. I think I've played two Pokemon games ever. 
This is a big deal for Nintendo. No, though. not at all. This is them putting their foot forward into um, an industry that they've been chastised for not being a part of. And they've partnered with a company that is, by all uh, research that I've done, fucking nailing it. So they, they seem like they're they're not leaving anything to chance with this one. Yeah, they know what they're doing. So I imagine it'll probably be good, but I don't think it's going to be anything like they were sh- showing no, off in that no, trailer. No, no, yeah, not even like they're they're really blowing smoke up our butts with that one. But at least we can speculate as to how it will actually be. Uh, one thing that uh, I think a lot of people might be worried about uh, is like since it's on the phone is microtransactions. And I will say just to assuage some worries is the there was a one that came out recently on the 3DS store uh, and there was some like buyable content. But if after you spent a certain amount, they gave you the rest of it, basically, they would only let you spend up to a certain amount before you just had all the content. So they, I, th- I think they're going to I don't I'm not too worried about the DLC aspect. Or microtransaction aspect. I'm just going to wait for the Ann Knuckles version. <laughs> that is that? Nope. 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 <laughs> you're, you're, you're getting the chocolate and the peanut butter there, man. <laughs> po- Pokemon Go and Knuckles. <laughs> I think it would work. Or Pokemon Go. Back yourself. <laughs> <laughs> All you do is you take your phone and you click it into a cartridge and go. There's this thing that recently uh, debuted itself to the public, and it's called The Void. The Void. And the Didn't it stand for something? Oh, fuck, did it? Yeah. Ugh. Virtual... <laughs> well, I know, I know they call themselves virtual entertainment centers. I didn't realize it was an acronym. No, Void is an acronym. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do Looking up noises. Cap better be done. Doom, doom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it does stand for something. It stands for um, the vision of infinite dimensions. Wow, that sounds <laughs> and, kind of pretentious. But, but, but hear me out. It, it, in in spite of that, in in spite of that horrible, horrible name, uh, the void is actually something that could shape up to be pretty cool, provided that it survives its development cycle. It is a virtual reality theme park these are what they call what they're calling uh, virtual entertainment centers imagine a an escape room on a larger scale or a let's say a laser tag arena yeah it, it reminds me more of like a laser tag arena that they put a bunch of different kinds of surfaces to interact with what they're doing is they're trying to create a virtual experience sort of melding of virtual reality and augmented reality so your eyes are mainly seeing virtual reality but when you reach out to touch something the goal is that when you're wandering around with this helmet on, that if you see like a keypad or a panel or a stone surface, when you feel it, it's going to feel like whatever you're seeing. Yeah, and it's one to one. So you'll you'll touch it and it'll be right where you expect it to be. You can sit on a bench. That bench will be there. Your right. butt will touch something. Right. They've got a bunch of cameras on the rig uh, that feed into the virtual reality. So the way that it looked like when it starts the experience is you put on this backpack, you put on the helmet. And you walk into a room and you start off seeing exactly what's in front of you. Like you start off in augmented reality with the camera and then it opens up a portal uh, in sort of an augmented reality type of way that you walk through. And then it's 100 percent virtual reality after that point. But it's still constantly scanning the environment so you can touch things that are on the wall. Yeah. And these are custom rigs. They're not like they're not Oculus or uh, or Valve's deal. Correct. This is their own stuff. They got a head mounted display, tracking sensors, microphones gloves and a motion tracking vest 
So this is made to fully immerse you into virtual reality. The first time that there's been something like this, it's been geared for public consumption at this scale, really. Yeah. The only thing that I'm worried about with this system, I mean, I, I think it looks really cool. Um, if you have a chance, click the link and uh, and watch the video for this because it's a lot easier to just see what we're talking about. But it seems like it's going to be really amazing. The only concern that I have is economies of scale. Like how expensive is this experience going to be? Hey, it's actually not bad. Really? Check, check this out. They're estimating between 29 and $39. For how long? Wow. For 30 minutes. Wow. That's actually way better than I thought it was going right? to be. Right? I was surprised. Yeah, I was thinking... I was thinking like it looks it's the closest thing I can come up with that's similar to it is laser tag. And that's pretty comparable. Actually, you know, 30 minutes is longer than you get with laser tag. Yeah, that actually sounds better And you only have one laser fake tag. ass lame ass real room. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, granted, if you took the helmet off, you'd be like, bam, this looks like shit. But like it doesn't have to look good. It only has to feel good. And they'll be altering your terrain. <laughs> Just like my love life. No. Oh, hey, hey, hey. These are, these are quote, family-friendly experiences no. here. Um, but but it'll they'll be altering your For terrain. Now. They'll be like, doors will, will be opening. They'll be doing scent projection, uh, temperature projection, different stuff to make you really feel like you're there. It's a really, really neat concept. Uh, I'm excited to see where it's going to go, especially once some other people get their hands on the technology and uh, take their own run at it. Yeah, they're like they're like letting people, uh, I guess, outside companies come in and design experiences for them. They'll update. They hope to turn this into a, like a global enterprise. Currently, they have a test center in Pleasant Grove, Utah, which mm. um, hypothetically will be open to the public by June of next year. Yeah, the only thing I worry about for their sake is how viable this is going to be when everybody and their mother has virtual reality helmets next year. Right, yeah, it, it, it's it's hard. Bring your Especially own. since the Valve one made by HTC has external sensors and can position you within a room. I mean, I know a lot of people aren't going to go out of their way to map out their room and put various surfaces to interact with. However, is it going to be worth it to go someplace for $30 for half an hour when you have something similar in your house? Yeah, I guess the, the, the deal is, do you want do you want the basic visual interaction or do you want the holodeck? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't have an obstacle course in my house. And it's, let's say, 40 bucks for an adventure that you can go on, and these adventures change every season. And there'll be multiple. They, they estimate having 10 adventures at each park at a given time. So I spend $300 at this place. I've consumed all their content for, for, a, a, for a, season, a season. Whatever that means. Yeah, like, you know spring to summer to fall to winter okay fair enough i i guess that's a pretty decent amount of money to milk out of someone and maybe and maybe you didn't do good maybe there's a score and you're like i gotta beat that score or i gotta find the extra treasure thing there's a challenge in mode i don't know but i it, it is hard to say because we are in a a place right now where all these emerging technologies are just running up against each other it's all this format wars going on with with, with significantly expensive hardware so yeah we we will fucking see yeah, it's it could just end up being like uh, the arcade versus consoles all over again. I mean, because sure, you get a little bit better experience with an arcade machine in theory, but it's more convenient at home. So I guess they that's something that they would have to worry about. See, I feel like pretty much the old man yelling at the cloud or yelling at the kids on his lawn or whatever, because like all of this shit just like... I don't want to strap a bunch of shit to myself. I can sit on my couch with a controller and play my video games or sit at my keyboard and my computer and be totally happy. Matt, have you done virtual reality? I, I have not. Trust me when I say that it it seems like a bunch of bullshit, 
But as soon as they put you in there, you're like, oh man, I didn't realize how deep this goes and how little they have to do to make me feel completely immersed in a way I've never experienced before. I shit you not. I uh, I am mostly anti-motion control, but then I played uh, Skyward Sword on the Wii, and being able to swing the, the Wii mode around <laughs> like it was actually the sword, it added something to the game. I'm not even going to lie. No, it, it does. It really does. I'm a big proponent for motion controls, and there's, just, there's a, a, a learning I curve. I put on my link hat. <laughs> <laughs> He's not lying. I've seen it. Yeah, my mama made it for me. <laughs> You know, before when when we were talking about Caps Dreams and how I think it should become a segment, you were really skeptical on whether or not you would have more content. And already in our second chance to to have Caps Dreams, you've already got more content. I'm that's what I'm surprised about right here. Well, well, kind of. I mean, it's a much shorter dream. It's 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 less exceptional. Uh, it's not it's not the same thing as being witness to Paul Rubens doing a, his drug PSA, but in this completely surreal setting well i'm interested let's do it what do you got all right all right oh yeah on the topic of paul rubens he was uh it was not a children's movie it was a porno theater he pleaded no contest okay good fact checking i I was curious but i did not look it up so there you go in reference to last episode (laughs) that's the actual information here here's here's the dream here's today's dream it's very short it's very short i I was in i was in a town a town I, i hadn't been to before um had lots of old buildings in it like like very kind of old uh, i have a question already yes go for it did somebody come up to you and explain to you the history of this town uh no however uh when i say i was in a town that's i I don't i am typically not a fixture in my dreams Uh, i i'm a i mean a non-corporal entity it's not really a focus i'm I'm nothing i'm 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 purely the receiver of these concepts the narratives unfold before me this is i was just wondering because last time you got backstory explained to you by another character in the dream right well there, there's a there's a perspective that's about to bequeath information unto me. Okay. So I, I realize what town I'm in because because I, I note that I'm on a hill all of a sudden, and from this hill I could see above, like just just by by virtue of of, of being in this spot, even though I'm not truly above any of it, the perspective is shifted so that standing I can see above the buildings and the world curves out and I can see the ocean. It's clearly we're in a seaside town. I didn't realize. Um, and it, they actually, it curves up like the inside of a Bernal sphere, which is one of the, um, uh, the designs for like a space station that could have a fully contained, uh, gravitational environment, like the inside of a halo and halo, a Dyson sphere. This is a Bernal sphere. It's different. What's, what's uh, different about Dyson it? sphere is made to, to capture all the energy escaping from a star. Wait, what's the one you're talking about? Uh, a, a Bernal sphere is, is a, it's like the ring of, of, of halo from halo. Sure. Um, but it's built inside of a space station. Uh, and it, and it oh, okay. I know what you're talking uh, about. Then amazing 1970s concept art by guys like uh, Rick uh, Rick Guidis and uh, Don Davis. We can link to some of their. Don't they art. spin it to yeah, like, it have gravity? Yeah, it moves. Yeah. Oh, like the ring on the Bebop. Yeah, kind of like that actually. See our previous episode, not for the ring on the Bebop, but for for us talking about Cowboy Bebop in our previous episode of Nerdy Show. And I say to myself, I need exact change. So, um, so this it's strange. I realize that the town I'm in is Mount Dora which is a town in Florida, which I've never been to. But because I'm standing on a hill and I can see the ocean, that's what I'm told in the dream. Foss is Mount Dora. It's, it's a place to explore. <laughs> I can see more of the architecture, and it's very old, strange architecture, almost like temples, but, but also with sort of a, a modern edge, just sort of older than what you'd normally expect in America, let alone Florida, uh, except perhaps St. Augustine. 
it's almost Babylonian in style. It's very strange. And there's there's statues, like a statue of, of what you could say, like a Gordon Fisherman style, yellow smocked fisherman, but in worn stone, old stone, and all kinds of sea creatures, strange, inhuman, uh, abstract, like almost human-esque sea creatures. Like Naga from World of Warcraft, maybe? Little snake people or something? Um... More like crustacean people and other things that be crab that, people where, where someone could say to you, oh, well, that's just that's just a mythological representation. That's nothing that really existed. And, and they'd slink off to the shadows. Did they look like they talked like people, but tasted like crab? Crab well, I mean, that's, people. Crab people. That's probably true. I, I don't actually know what you're referencing at all, but that's it's probably a South true. Park reference. But I can you're I, uh, how'd I miss that? I don't Oh. You're, you're definitely going a Call of Cthulhu right with your dream here. Yeah, I think I'm. I'm fairly oh, yeah. certain that this dream was was somewhat influenced by the uh, the Alan Moore comic I'm reading right now, Providence. It's it's a H.P. Lovecraft influenced story of kind of an alternate reality H.P. Lovecraft, a guy named Robert Black, who's a journalist in New York City in the uh, the turn of the 20th century, and he falls into this hole of like researching occult stuff. And ends up on this journey that takes him through a lot of the real world towns that influenced H.P. Uh, Lovecraft in his in his various stories, uh, like like the horror of Dunwich or Innsmouth, which is the 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 shadow over Innsmouth sounds the most like your dream. Oh yeah. Okay, so what? There's a coastal there's a coastal town with a terrible secret, ancient architecture, and fish people. Yeah, which is also in Providence. Actually, I haven't read that one, but yeah. What was actually happening in the dream, though? Oh, that's hard to say. We've got the setting. We've, that's all. That's mostly what I've got. Oh, there was there was a. What was, He's like Lovecraft. He's long on theme and short on substance. Sometimes there's plot, and sometimes there's just experience. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, sometimes the, he just he just says it's so indescribably horrible that I could never describe it to you, and then the story is the crab people weren't even trying to make metrosexuals or anything. That's weird. <laughs> uh yeah and in this case i don't i don't have any connecting the plot threads or anything but it did remind me that i am reading this comic book and i love this comic book and we should totally talk about this comic book uh, go ahead i don't know anything about it but i'm gonna tell you and you can ask questions all right hey hot dog all right so uh, wait is there is there really a hot dog i was gonna say i'm kind of hungry i could go for one is there a scene with a hot dog there may have actually been a scene with a hot dog early on uh basically it's this comic book Alan Moore's writing it, like the dude who wrote Watchmen, right? He, it's a big deal. And he's... He's come out of his grump cave to make something. Oh, he's been out of his grump cave. Just no, But he's, he's not releasing for the big two. That's the thing. So... Is that a real thing that people make? Kind of like a man cave? No, it's a metaphor. Go on. <laughs> so, um, so, so this dude, this character, Robert Black, he's, he, he leaves the safe confines of uh, metropolitan New York City and starts going to these small towns where there are people with these bizarre faces with the eyes spaced too far apart and like they do look kind of like like fishy and he's tracking she's trying to track down this certain ancient manuscript goes from town to town there's this one amazing scene where after having met these fish people be like man the genes here are pretty wild i wonder what part of the world these folk came from he's um he's in a bus ride at night and he sees these big things in the water racing towards an island and all these fish people he's in the bus with are like oh man go get him go I you, be, I you get get it, Grandpa. I know you can. I know you can win this time. And he's like, and he's like, well, that's a weird thing to say. Well, what what are those out there? Seals? And they and they all turn and look at him like, oh shit, there's a normal person on this bus. Yeah, they're <laughs> seals, man. We get big seals up here. But like they're talking about like their their relatives who are fish people with all this fish church stuff swimming out there. And these comic books, they have back matter in them, like prose back matter. And in this back matter, yeah, it's 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 a term. Is for, it like dark matter for when you when you have extra features in 
in a comic book. This uh, often like this dude's journal entries or things he'll pick up. In this case, it was a religious pamphlet for a uh, a, a fish based church using a lot of the like Mary of the Sea Christian uh, text, but warping them horrifically in very strange stuff. He's like, oh, look at these quaint local customs. In the most recent thing. He uh, he went off to um, Athol, Massachusetts, which was the real-life inspiration for the fictional town of Dunwich in H.P. Lovecraft's work. He goes to this small farm where this guy's got uh, his daughter, who's also the mother of his children, upstairs. And she's all, like, pasty and albino and strange and has all these, these visionary crayon drawings she's doing. And she'll blank out. She'll be like, oh, was I John the Divining again? And then, and, like, she'll have these, these bizarre visions, and she tells us, this story, almost a fable, where he he of the story of her son's conception and what her dad did to her, which he doesn't figure out until later. And you see the drawings in the back matter of like, whoa, look at this crazy crayon shit. And you go out and you meet this kid, his kid who who is referenced as being seven years old, but the guy just assumes was them like making a mistake. Is like this huge fish faced dude dressed in a suit who's folding these invisible cubes into a incomprehensible geometric shape that he says is a tesseract. And, he's, and in the in the dude's journals, after you fi- finish reading the comic and start reading the prose, he's like, he was building something, I think, out of glass cubes. It hurt my no- it hurt. It gave, it gave me a headache every time I tried to look at it, but I don't know what it was like. He's he's like pulling geometry from space itself and full. It's cr- it's a crazy book. I highly recommend checking out. Providence. I'm, I'm kind of hung up on this part where you said that in the back there is pictures of incest drawings in, in an abstract sense. Yes. In mm. crayon. Crayon incest drawings. As though a child might draw to try to get the word out that something terrible is happening to them. Yeah. Show me on the back matter where daddy (laughs) touched you. I think those are also sometimes called backups, by the way. Well, a backup is when there's a backup story. And that's like a like an accessory comic book story to fill in. Like, for example, in the uh, the Adventure Time books, they have they have the primary story and they have a backup story. But in this case, uh, this is the sort of material that would normally be. Uh, extra stuff like collected in a graphic novel or, or whatever, except in this case, the back matter is in the comic itself. Okay, I see the the division there. I dig it. If there's incest and aquatic people, would it be fincest? <laughs> <laughs> yes, fincest. I love it. I love I'll, it. I'll be here all week. One thing I'd like to bring up is why is it uh, it's assumed that any time the human looks at non-Euclidean geometry or horrible horrors from beyond, it gives them a headache. Yeah, it's the best way of uh, stating that you can't comprehend the nature of what you're seeing, I guess. Isn't <laughs> the assumption that there's more data than that that's coming through and that gives the headache? Like, Yeah, something to that extent, yeah. Because usually when they pull tricks like that, it's like, oh, it's a huge flood of data all at the same time. And they represent it with that type of thing. But the I believe the implication is that there's a lot more going on than just that. Yeah. It's your brain reacting to something that it can't really process because it has, it has no reference point. It's the it's the sort of like why looking at uh, the any of the elder ones will make you go completely insane because there's just too much like there's too much there that your brain has nothing to deal with. It's so tremendously inhuman and so unnatural that you cannot possibly react to it without going immediately mad. So Providence by Alan Moore and Jason Burroughs, um, it's not collected yet, but it will be someday soon, and you can always go to your local comic book shop. They can probably order issues of it. And of course, it's on Comixology if you want to read it digitally. Legacy of the Void. Well, what's that then? 
The new StarCraft expansion. Oh, yeah. How's that going? Expansion yeah, slash standalone game. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, they're doing the weird thing they're doing with 2. I bought the first installment of StarCraft 2, and I just couldn't follow up. It, it it was too much for me. I love StarCraft. I, I loved it back in the day. I can't keep up with these 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 kids these days. They're too good at it. They never stop playing. They're so good. And and I did, and now I suck. So I'm not concerned with the multiplayer. I, I just play through the single-player campaign. It's one of the few games that I will actually pay full price at launch just to play the single player campaign. So you can be the first one to consume the content and be smug about it? No, I'm just really excited to consume that content. Oh, okay. Especially this this one, because uh, Protoss have always been my favorite species. And so as soon as they announced that uh, this is the way that StarCraft II was coming out, I was like, well, settle in. Start growing a beard. Yeah, the cinematic for it looks really great. Well, they I mean, always do. Blizzard yeah. always yeah. does that. And I really don't understand why Blizzard doesn't just put out full movies. They've talked about it. They've I mean, they, they really should. I mean, they, they, should. they went ahead and did a live action thing with Warcraft. I was going to say, and it actually looks like it's not going to be terrible. Duncan Jones uh, is directing it. The guy who directed Moon. I have, I, and I don't give two shits about Warcraft, but I will see this movie the day it comes out because of him. He is such a good director. Yeah. No, I mean, it's probably going to be great. And they, they picked a really good story to tell i mean the 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 track record for tie-ins is so bad that if if it's not terrible i think that makes it pretty great (laughs) duncan jones is a confirmed um mmo fan in fact he was in an old republic guild with many of the members of state of the empire myself excluded but we uh we know for a fact i don't know him personally but we know for a fact that he loves video games and he loves mmos so it's very interesting that he's doing this that is awesome but yeah i really think that they should just go all out and do a full movie with their just animation team because they're so good at it they could definitely afford it the cinematic trailer has uh like a zealot in action which you know like everybody has it in their imagination but in the original starcraft all you have is them essentially standing in one place and pistoning their arms but you actually get to actually see them throw down and see two uh templar chance change into an archon which is like oh man before it was just a big white cloud but now it's heroic <laughs> so this this is the protoss the long-awaited protoss expansion yep the journey that began like oh yeah baby fucking four years ago is finally complete exactly that's great maybe maybe now's the time to revisit this shit for me <laughs> yeah and everybody that's already playing is so good at it that they'll stomp you into the ground so hard yeah I'll be crippled. Ah, screw that. Play with your friends and play the campaign. There's two things about it that are kind of weird to me. And the first one is the release date, which is the same day as Fallout 4. Oh! <laughs> oh! So, I mean... Gonna be competing with dollars there. Yeah, they're, they're, they're really confident. Well, I already ordered my Pip-Boy, so that decision <laughs> is made. And the other thing yeah. is I feel it's kind of a weird direction for the... And I, maybe there's a way that it'll work out. But the, the story so far has been building up to this big, bad external force that's going to wipe out all life in the galaxy. And the Protoss are now more concerned with retaking their homeworld. To me, it just seems kind of like a weird direction to go with the story, but maybe there's something that ties in. I think the the main body of the Protoss, like uh, the the mainstream Protoss, as opposed to Zeratul and the Dark Templar and his uh, normal Protoss who are friendly with him, I don't think that that main group is really aware of the of the incoming existential threat. They have been like the fo- they've been focused on ire from the beginning, as far as I know, because nobody's really pulled them into the whole thing. Now, if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't know anything about StarCraft, this is dumb. Trust me when I say that in spite of the fact that I've 
abandoned StarCraft at this point. I, I, I love it. And the story is fucking amazing. So you should probably go play it or watch all of the, the FMVs on uh, YouTube or something and then, you know, check back in because it's a hell of a time. And all this stuff is very cool, whether you know what it is or not. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually kind of in the same boat as you in that I don't play it really heavily. Like, I have the first two games for StarCraft II. The, you have Wings of Liberty and Heart of the Swarm? Yes, I have both of those. And I played them a little bit, but yeah, I'm definitely not at Korean level or anything. <laughs> and I, I don't play it anywhere near as often. I have played I have played both stories through multiple times. Ask me anything. Uh, I will ask you anything. What is Kerrigan up to these days? She. Uh, so you want me to tell you, give you the whole arc for oh uh, Heroes of the Swarm? I, I guess I probably I guess I probably Heart shouldn't. <laughs> That's a whole can of worms, probably. <laughs> yeah. Or in this case, Zerglings. <laughs> That's opening up a whole can of Nidus worms. Mooka. Nice one. Well done. Was that the Mooka sound from Harvey Birdman? It was. <laughs> So on the subject of video games, I uh, I stood in line for Amiibo again recently. Uh, that's always a, a, lo- a lovely time. <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, it, I'm, it's, I'm done. Until Lucas comes out, I'm, I'm fucking done. I just, I just want, I don't want a huge hoard. I just want to get the things that I like. Uh, and in this case, I, I got something that I didn't like because of Smash Brothers. So Bowser Jr., hate him. Hate Bowser Jr.'s guts. But uh, love the Koopalings, love Wendy Koopa. She's my my main now in the new Smash Brothers. Um, but uh, she, the, all the Koopalings are just reskins for Bowser Jr. So if I want to have an amiibo functionality with Wendy Koopa, I gotta buy Bowser Jr. So I wandered to uh, a short little line out in front of Target early in the morning, waiting to get those amiibos, and then didn't look ahead, didn't find out that Bowser Jr. was exclusive to Toys R Us. Ooh, yeah, plastic, oh, plastic toys. Got to catch the them all. Worst. Right, yeah. Wandering there with like c- collector discussions that kind of like make my skin crawl a little bit because I like having cool stuff, but the 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 market, I it's it's kind of gross to me. Yeah, uh, in in all things. Um, and Doctor Mario was the exclusive. Picked it up because I was fucking there. I waited in line. I might as well get the exclusive to Target because Doctor Mario was the Target exclusive. And then hopped over to Toys R Us, read my book for Nerdy Show Book Club. Uh, and waited in line for uh, Bowser Jr., which Did, I got. Oh, you got it. Okay. I got him. Hooray. It yeah. has a happy ending. Yeah, it does. And I also got the Inkling, Inkling Girl for Splatoon, which I didn't have yet. So, uh, cool. yeah, that was good. Um, Describe your fellow line denizens to us. <laughs> <laughs> I, it would not be kind, and so I will not. <laughs> they're, they're very, I'm Say sure they're, no more, then. I'm sure they're very nice people. It's just, when... <sighs> And I'm sorry if this alienates anyone. When you buy two of something so that you can open one and keep one in package, that constitutes a problem. And you, if you are ever doing that, you should really question why you're doing that. Because I, I briefly, as a child with action figures, would like would buy things because I because I thought they might be worth something someday. And I, I grew out of that because I realized it was all smoke and mirrors and. And generally, like much like capitalism, a, a system of worth sustained by a palace of lies. So, I mean, hey, <laughs> I love capitalism. It's a great way to live. But when you get to the, the actual nature of it, oh, boy, it falls apart. Hey, Vor, you got something that has to do with capitalism. Let's talk about stocks. All right. <laughs> How was that for a segue? That came out of nowhere, right? That was a that was a fantastic segue. Actually, yeah, I do have a, a cool app that I've been playing a lot with. Is uh, it's probably not super fun. I've been looking for a way to invest my money without 
having to pay stupid amounts of fees and have it be actually convenient to do. And I found that recently in an app called Robinhood, which offers... Are you stealing from the rich and giving to the poor? There is no stealing involved unless you're doing insider trading, and, and that's a whole other story. That is illegal. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> if you work for a company, do not buy and sell that stock on Insider Info. But anyway, uh, the cool thing about this app is it's really slick. It's easy to use. Um, you load up your bank account info, you throw some money in there, and boom, you can just start trading stocks after about two or three days when your money gets into the account. Um, but the the nice thing about it is there's no minimums. A lot of uh, a lot of places where you go to invest money. They require you to spend like anywhere from five hundred to five thousand dollars just to open an account, and then every time you make a single trade, they will charge you about ten bucks. But Robinhood, you can start with you know twenty bucks if you want to just buy a few stocks just to play around with it, and uh, they're not going to charge you every time you trade, which is awesome. So, so basically, it's a stock thing that cuts out the broker makes it super simple for you and yep. for some reason doesn't charge you any money? Yeah, it's totally free. Um, Why? How? I actually looked into that and the answer to that is they reinvest the money that you have sitting idle in your account. So they make money off of like if you have uh, a leftover balance. Like say I'm going to tra transfer in $150 so I can buy some stocks. I can buy maybe, I don't know, say 20 shares of a stock, but that's going to leave a couple of dollars left over because I'm not going to be able to buy exactly the amount of money that I have in there. So that residual money that's sitting in your account, Robinhood is investing that and making money off of that. But you still have it, but they're playing with it. Right. Yeah. It's still Crazy. yours, but they're playing with it. Kind of like which now that's how banks do that all the time. Right. Exactly. That's what I was just going to say. Banks do that. So it's similar to that. And they also have like some advanced services and stuff like that to make money. So it's totally legit. Um, and so far it's been really great. And I've, I'm actually not bad at the stock market. I've learned. This is something that I'm kind of curious about. Just like it, it removes this barrier of entry to the stock market. Exactly. There before like theoretically there's there's like a level playing field anybody can get in there as long as you have a hundred thousand dollars to stand on top of exactly yeah that's and that's now, been a huge problem with be. it in the past uh whenever i've looked into it i've never had you know five thousand dollars to throw into an account and pay ten dollars every time i wanted to trade something i've literally bought like 20 cent stocks you know mm -hmm. well i mean as the uh as the legend goes tate of tate's comics the world famous comic store in south florida started his comic empire by doing a, that fake stock trading game that you do in like middle school or high school, uh, realized he was making good fake money. So he and his dad did those same things in real life. And that's how he acquired a comic store of his very own. That is cool. So, right. And the main thing that I've been doing is I've just been buying and trading stocks that I know about. Like some of the ones that I have bought include uh, like AMD, Intel, NVIDIA, for some reason, PacSun, Pacific Sunware. Okay, <laughs> but the main reason but, I but bought no that Amazon is because Google? it's a company that I know, and it was like extremely cheap. I think they went down to like thirty three cents a share, and I was like, "Well, they're not going out of business, are they?" <laughs> okay, that's probably why you didn't go Amazon or Google because I imagine their their stock is not. Oh, cheap. their stock prices, yeah, some of them are insane. Like uh, Netflix is is really high. Amazon is really high. Uh, it's like a hundred and something dollars per, almost two hundred dollars per share. One of them was like five hundred dollars a share. I can't remember which one that was. Wow. I feel like it might have been Netflix or Amazon or something. Wow. Yeah. Um, that, that, I'll start with the twenty cents and try to snowball my way up. <laughs> yeah, you will. I'm just saying, missed the train on that one. But yeah, I mean, uh, the 
the way that I've been playing it is I, I buy companies that I know if they're looking low and I sell them when they're a little bit higher. You know, you got to play the game. When will you be the Wolf of Wall Street? Never. When will you be Wolf Blitzer? When will I be Wolf Blitzer? Are you yet a werewolf? Maybe. I'm, I'm more of a teen wolf. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> there'll, be, there'll be no wolves on this show. <laughs> Sometimes looks not quite as cool as he might like to think. It's time for cookies late to everything. Luke, what the hell are you late to? I am late to the Rocketeer. No shit. How is that even possible? Uh, you know, it wasn't, I don't recall it being in the, uh, in the video store in my childhood. Also, but the, they did have the NES game, which uh, destroyed me mentally because it was so hard, which might've kept me from watching the movie. Uh, and I can vouch for the Super Nintendo one being a living hell purgatory. Yeah, there's, there's all these, there's all these planes that they want you to fly instead of uh, rocket packs. Yeah, preposterous, really preposterous. I can't be racing planes in a video game when I should be flying a rocket pack. That is the damn truth. Well, what did you know about Rocketeer going into this? Uh, I Well, I kind of had, I knew what he looked like based on the NES sprite. I kind of had the basic premise, but not much of it. And uh, I knew it was based on a comic book, which was in turn based on uh, serials back in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s kind of uh, pulpy uh, sci-fi or action-y spy stories. Kind of stuff where a guy a guy in a fedora is going to be like, shut up, sweetheart, or I'll give you two black eyes. Right, <laughs> I- indirectly based on, not actually, like, uh, adapted. But the uh, the movie is an adaptation. No, no, more like a, a love letter to it. Well, I kind of went in without knowing much of what to expect. I didn't even know it was a Disney film, actually. And once I saw Walt Disney pop up, I was kind of like, oh, this might be a lot different than I'm expecting. And it was. I was, ex- for some reason, expecting it to be darker. And actually, this is an odd thing I noticed is I feel like there's another cut of the movie with all the swears still in it. And then they <laughs> sold it to Disney. And then so they took out the swears. I don't think it was like that. I mean, there may have been an alternate cut. The Rocketeer was maybe one of the lone instances of a live action film from Disney that could be in the same caliber as Tron. Um, that was like that was as imaginative and everything else as as a film like Tron was in the 80s. And unfortunately, it didn't it didn't really take off, though. They they hoped it would. In, in retrospect, you know, people people love the movie. I love the movie. I remember a lot of Rocketeer merchandise back in the day. I had a like cup. I don't remember what restaurant had it. But it had the cool helmet with the fin on it and everything. Oh, wow. I've never seen that. So that way, it, when you threw it, it could fly properly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to say, Cliff, Cliff's initial reaction to the uh, to the helmet is that he doesn't like it. And I was like, really? It's It might be one of the cooler like hero designs that I can think of off the top of my head. He is the Art Deco superhero. Like I don't, I couldn't tell you of another yeah. one that's as true to form as he is. And it, like it looks really good. The comic it was nineteen eighties comic book that uh, played up to a lot of the the fifties and forties, mostly forties uh, pulp reel like archetypes and so on. Forties uh, and thirties pulp reel archetypes created by uh, Dave Stevens. Did you did you know that the Rocketeer, the comic book, not the film, is almost single-handedly responsible for the cultural resurgence of Betty Page. Really? Yeah. She's the most famous pinup model of all time now, but she was completely obscure, except to the cult pinup following um, in, in the time. And via his creation of the character Betty, who was directly inspired by Betty Page, uh, he, got, he forged, forged a relationship with IRL Betty Page and, and also brought awareness of her back. So now, that she, now she's the cultural icon 
now that she was back then, perhaps more so, but in the 1980s, she was totally forgotten. That is that is the maximum of cool. I had no idea. Betty Page was uh, when I was doing so, like the research for the movie. It was uh, she was specifically mentioned, but it was more in the Art Deco look at the thing. I couldn't really figure out what they were talking about. I did, must have not gotten far enough into the article. Yeah, it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing that uh, the comic book was able to do that. And of course, when they cast Jennifer Connelly as her in the film, um, she was great, but she didn't really evoke Betty Page much on the screen. No, I don't get it at all. She looks like Betty Page's uh, little sister who still goes to church. <laughs> well, Disney. Yeah, yeah. And there, you can see the fingerprints of Disney all over this movie. Uh, nobody really dies or gets hurt unless they're a Nazi, and then they can be shot or die in a big fireball. With the inclusion of Nazis at all, yeah, I, was not, say. I didn't see it coming. Like it, it seems, It seems like it starts off as a very small-scale movie, I mean, you have some some big names like Howard Hughes and people showing up and it's in Los Angeles. But but it's really it's about a guy who has this experimental thing and then his problems uh, coming off of having the thing. Uh, then all of a sudden in the last 20, 10, 20 minutes, there's a, a Nazi uh, Zeppelin flying over Los Angeles, about 50 Nazis with uh, submachine guns and commando gear who came out of nowhere. And Detective Phil from Law and Order is having a shootout uh, with them alongside a bunch of FBI agents. It escalates quickly is what I'm saying. <laughs> it's been a while, but it's, it is, it turns into a three-way shootout between the cops, the mafia and the Nazis, right? Uh, the mafia and the cops immediately team up against the Nazis. <laughs> yeah. Because everybody hates Nazis. How many stars out of 10 would you give it Luke? Uh, I'd give it eight or nine for sure. Eight or nine stars. I'm pretty generous. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's, and that's it was really like, high. It was like a grab bag of, of, uh, it took me maybe twice as long as it should have to watch the movie because I kept going, hey, I know that guy, and having to Google someone. Well, let me be the first person to welcome you to 1991. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I remember seeing the, the, the preview poster, it's Summer 1991, in theaters, this gorgeous Art Deco thing and this haunting, almost skeletal face of this like shape emerging from some kind of blast, the Rocketeer. Wow, I'd never seen anything like it before. And, and Joe Johnson, who directed it, you might not know this, he's got a history with people with rocket packs. He designed Boba Fett. I did not know that, and now I can kind of see it. That's awesome. That's why he's our pick for the guy who should direct the Boba Fett movie that they're secretly making, we're certain of, in State of the Empire. Universal is developing an Animorphs movie. This is this thing that broke a couple weeks ago on a website called Tracking Board. It basically goes a little something like this. The Goosebumps movie is coming out October 16th. Sony is already developing a sequel to that Goosebumps movie. And now they've confirmed that Universal, to be like, hey, we got something too, is developing a film reboot for Animorphs. Previously, An Animorphs. Do you know Animorphs? I mean, do, are we speaking I actually don't here? know Animorphs. Okay. So if you could give me a brief, yes. like, what the hell is an Animorph? A Animorphs. Are you serious right now? I, I'm totally serious. Okay. Uh, Animorphs, mid-90s book series about kids who are granted this power from a dying alien to morph into any animal that they can touch for long enough to acquire their genetic code. Uh, in the sort of trance-like thing. Um, there, because there's an alien infestation of parasites called yurks that are inhabiting people's brains in these weird, uh, like, fellowship groups called the Sharing, and they're, uh, they're infiltrating all of society and going to take over the world and basically use human beings as their, uh, as their hosts. They're, they're an invading force, and uh, the Animorphs, these kids, these teenage kids, are a uh, shadow militia of just random kids who have to rise to the occasion of becoming warriors, uh, masquerading as alien warriors, I might add. But it's a great book series. It's a, it's a series that's so well written that even though it's made for a very young adult audience, I have read them as an adult, 
with no nostalgia goggles on whatsoever, and they've still been extremely enjoyable reads. Interesting. Uh, it's it's super dark. It's super violent. The creators of the book really pushed boundaries and didn't seem to have any restrictions from Scholastic. So like, it's a very adult read in spite of the the, uh, the audience it was being peddled to at the time. We actually have a whole episode of Nerdy Show Book Club where we talk to one of the authors. Um, they were released under the name K.A. Applegate, but in fact, it was a duo, a husband and wife team of Catherine Applegate and her husband, Michael Grant. So we spoke with Michael Grant a, uh, a couple of years ago, and we'll link that episode on this page. Uh, he short, shared lots of crazy stories behind the scenes from Animorphs. He was very cool. And so I would love to see a faithful adaptation of Animorphs. Yeah, hopefully they keep it really nice and gritty, because you said it was a little bit more dark, right? Yeah, it was super dark. Like It was really, it was really disturbing. It's about, it's about the people you know and love not being able to trust them, them being monsters, and then like all the violence, like the Animorphs, when they change form in, in animals and so on, they can get in, in battles so violent that their bodies will be completely mangled. But because they're just sampling genetic data and then rehashing it, so they turn from an animal back into a human, they're fully restored. Of course, they have to do that in secret because no one can know about that, and the enemy thinks they're aliens and not humans. If they found out they were humans, the whole thing would be blown wide open and they'd be very vulnerable. Um, so, like, it's super gory. It's super mature. It's basically, it's about, you know, enlisting yourself as a as a child soldier in a a war of subterfuge and espionage and uh and fighting as a as a fucking grizzly bear on occasion it's awesome and with with movies like hunger games being you know all that well isn't it time for a a kind of gritty animorphs film however there's a catch there was a terrible animorphs television series on nickelodeon in the 90s they're like, oh, was it live action or it was, was live it? action? If okay. it was if it was animated, it probably would have been awesome. But you no, know, they went the live action route, and they did not have the CGI or the the practical effects or, or anything to be so able to. So, guy in a bear this. suit. That was it. That bad? It was real bad. Uh, they, they it's it's all it's kind of hard to describe how bad it was. But so bad that it has been stricken from my memory, and I remember next to nothing about it except it was terrible. Yeah, and, and this is it was competing against uh like the Goosebumps television series, which was decent because every episode was a standalone show. You change the directors, you change the actors, you can there's more flexibility with that. But this is a continuous series that was hard sci-fi. Nickelodeon was just not up to the challenge. Uh this movie, the red flag for this project, is it's being produced by Deborah Forte, uh from her production house Silver Tongue, which was uh created to adapt Scholastic's uh library of titles into films with a, a three year contract with Universal. This woman, Deborah Forte, well, she was executive producer for the original Animorphs television series. I forget. Is executive producer the one that does stuff, or is that the one that's just the title? Executive producers hold a lot of power. They'll tell you what does and doesn't fly. If you start making a really cool movie, they'll be like, your movie's too cool. We got to tone that down. <laughs> so, so there's reason to be scared. Right. You, you can sit back and you can just distribute the money, or you can be a thorn in the creative sides. It, it could go either way. And here's here's the clincher. This sounds great because the description here actually said the studio is looking for writer to take on. They don't know what it's going to be, but they want a heavy focus on the sci-fi nature of the story and that they're looking to find a capable writer-director with a knack to the vibe of, and this is this is their description, uh, Attack the Block writer-director Joe Cornish and Ender's Game writer-director Gavin Hood, which isn't, that's not bad. That's fine. I like to Attack the Block a lot, yeah. However... Our very own Jessica Ullman, Animorphs fan and uh, devoted participant of Nerdy Show Book Club. Well, she uh, she talked with Michael Grant on Twitter recently. There was a conversation that, that popped up that she joined into. A Twitter user named Dow Jones said, can you speak on the uh, Universal Animorphs uh, movie supposedly in development? Michael Grant said, at this point, 
we're just massively confused. Scholastic says no, the media says yes. So Scholastic was like, eh, it's not happening. No, it's just a thing. But then, like, everywhere else, these reports are like, no, this is a real thing. And that's a lot of information having a press release for something that doesn't exist. Yeah. For a rumor. So uh, Dow Jones Does said, that well, mean that Universal is saying? It could be, yeah. So Universal is maybe saying it, but Scholastic isn't. Yeah confirming it right but then but then there's this production house named which has an agreement between scholastic and universal somewhere something official has been said but the creators have not been contacted and we don't know how much scholastic owns and how much the creators own they probably wouldn't want to talk about that but uh, dow jones said hoping for a positive outcome and michael grant said we're not sure what quote positive would be in this case so hmm. Jess jumps in. She's like, well, hey, a, a non-shit adaptation of a beloved series of books that uh, compensates the original authors. That would be awesome. Yeah, them getting a whole jillion dollars is definitely a positive outcome. <laughs> and, but Michael Grant said, yeah, but it's the same producer. And then ultimately, we're trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. Someone is bullshitting us. We're just not sure who. So more on that to come. Yeah, yeah. And, the developing story, I guess. I feel like they would have to heavily adapt it because the the book series was what like 50 something books whoa yeah no it, it's a serious undertaking granted there's plenty of of stories that are great stories but could be seen as filler stories yeah that you could take out but it's not like you, you mentioned the hunger games which was what a, a trilogy do you think they'll make all 50 movies if they start up <laughs> hopefully <laughs> i mean you know I, what? that's I, what i really want i mean they couldn't this. even finish the chronicles of narnia that's true I, I i do i do think that they can you can get a good adaptation i mean you're not going to get I doubt. I don't know if they'll get to a conclusion where the you know the Yorks are the Animorphs are triumphant. The Yorks are kicked off of off of Earth and all that. Uh, it's it's better as an episodic series, I gotta say. But you could probably take the first couple books and combine them into a decent film. But th there will be a whole generation of people who will never know that the Yorks get addicted to cinnamon oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> what? Maybe they can fit that in there somewhere. <laughs> cinnamon oatmeal. I don't know if I even want to ask. <laughs> Let's just leave it. It, it. Being an alien is a weird is weird thing, man. It's just, you know, they, they got different different palettes from us. John John's and Oreos. Yeah, totally. One of the main characters, eventually the Animorphs acquire a member of their team who is a young, stranded uh, alien of the kind of alien who bequeathed them the powers, the Andalites. And uh, they don't have mouths. They uh, They absorb nutrients from the grass beneath their hooves because they're kind of like centaurs with scorpion tails. And no mouths. And eye stalks. For the rest of this episode, all of my questions are going to be about centaurs. <laughs> <laughs> so, Technically, we're all half centaur. That's uh, true. He samples the genetic code from all of the Animorphs to create this beautiful, albeit somewhat masculine, presumably hermaphroditic human, and then goes fucking bonkers when he has a mouth. Like, he's eating, like, fucking raisinets off the floor of a movie theater. He's so into having a mouth cinnamon buns yeah cinnamon buns and he likes i like the way words sound so it's it's this is still one of the centaur people yeah okay. it, it's yeah when he develops a human mouth form so, <laughs> so he can go around normal society and not you know have people freak out because it's a good no series I, I love this series it's a great series so i hope i hope a good movie comes out of now it. if this character were to see the back half of a horse but the front half was obstructed would it be attracted to that rear end uh, you know, they never really talked about what was going on around the bend for him. Um, so I, 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 I yeah, reproduction has never really gone into, as I recall. Well, you know, you know how violence is acceptable in America, but sexuality and, and sex stuff is not. Well, the, the book is yeah, plenty yeah, yeah. violent, but the amount of sex stuff that could, would and should have probably happened in Animorphs just plain doesn't. So use your imagination. And many have. Fair enough. Do they need to use an Aubesian 
to wipe their behind? What the fuck is an Albesian? Well, it's a telescoping pole that holds onto the toilet paper, and then it ha- you can move it back and forth to wipe the back end if you're a centaur. That's a grabber stick. What? No, it's called an Albesian. <laughs> is this from one of those, uh, one of those Monster Girl anime manga books? <laughs> No, it's uh, it's Christopher Walken interviewing a centaur on Saturday Night Live. Wow, I, that sounds amazing. I've never seen. You've that. never seen? Oh my god, I haven't either. You need to watch that immediately. It sound, I sound like I do. Yeah, if we can link to it, we will. So uh, this is gonna wrap for now. But hey, uh, if you like what you heard, you should support us. Go to nerdyshow.com/support to chip in. We got links there to where you can buy products on Amazon, give us a one-time donation, or if you think we're super cool and you would like perks in return, such as perhaps outtakes from this episode and others, you're going to want to go to patreon.com slash nerdy show and subscribe at some of our various tiers. Now we actually have a new level on a new feature on there at the $10 level where you get access to an ex- a private exclusive Facebook group where you can hang out with all the hosts of the Nerdy Show Network, as well as elite fans such as yourself, and discuss all the latest happenings going on in the nerd world, including a number of these topics here. A number of these have come from the discussions on the Nerdy Show Lounge, and we bring your discussions into the fold when we can as well. Yeah, give us stuff to talk about. We'll talk about it with you, and uh, you know, if we're interested enough, it'll make it into one of these episodes. Yeah, that's right. This is how you can influence the course of Nerdy Show, by participating in the Nerdy Show Lounge, giving us cool stuff to talk about, saying cool stuff, uh, interacting with us. And then also, of course, sampling from the uh, luxurious library of outtakes. Remember all the media that we've discussed on this episode that is available for purchase. You can follow those links on this episode's page through to Amazon where you can pick it up. And hey, we haven't mentioned the Nerdy Show store in a while, nerdyshow.com slash store. We got all kinds of stuff there. You want a, a sticker of the Nerdy Show logo? No problem. We got that. Sticker D&D logo? We got that. Sure. How about the ability to play the Ghostbusters role-playing system from the 1980s, reimagined by us? We got stuff for that. We got Ghost Eye. We got exclusive equipment cards. We got t-shirts. All kinds of stuff at the Nerdy Show Say store. Cap. What you got? What's up? You got those blue t-shirts with the uh, TMNT style lettering? We sure do. Not many left, though. Get them while we still they still exist. Well, I got one of those from you guys, and it still lasted to this day. Super comfy, isn't it? One of the most comfortable t-shirts I own. That's right. That's what I thought. Yeah, it really is. I'm not even... I'm using my fake commercial voice, but that is absolutely true. Yeah. It's one of my favorite t-shirts. They're really surreal in how, com- how comfortable they are. So uh, pick up several. And that's the episode. Thanks so much for listening. Taking us out to get you hyped for Pokemon Go, which uh, comes out sooner than you'd think, November 20th. We got a Poke Rock classic from Press Start to Play. This is from their one and only record from 2013. And uh, since then, they've actually uh, called it quits recently this year. But uh, they left behind many awesome tracks. And this is one of the finest Pokemon jams I know of. Here's Press Start to Play with The Adventure Begins.
listening to Nerdy Show. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes or like and follow us on SoundCloud. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows on the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend or funding the network via Patreon. Any size contribution gets you exclusive outtakes, episodes, and images from across the network, and there's even more perks available. Just head to patreon.com slash nerdyshow. To find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com slash sponsorships. You can subscribe to Nerdy Show via iTunes and SoundCloud. Leave a comment, like and share, and follow Nerdy Show on all your favorite social networks. For more podcasts, articles, community forums, and other awesomeness, visit nerdyshow.com. If it's geeky, we got it covered. You know what my spice is? I bet it's pumpkin spice. It's that time of year. It's that time of year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to get swifty with that pumpkin spice. Hell, yeah. Take off your pants and your panties. <laughs> no problem. Already done. I'm Shit Mr. on the Bulldogs. floor. <laughs> I, I, I thought I was Mr. Bulldogs, <laughs> but then you came in the room and I was like, that guy, that guy's Mr. Bulldogs. But yeah, pumpkin spice, man. Um, folks, it's addicted to that. I think you are. You got that, that kind of... Do I have that orange glow? Crazy stare, yeah. <laughs> the kind of like, the kind of squints where your irises just kind of fold into pumpkin shapes. Yeah. That's because I'm getting swifty. Kind of a Cheeto-esque shade. I don't really have anything to say about pumpkin spice, but you did say spice, so <laughs> good, the, the spice must a flow. Good spot for it. The pumpkin spice must flow. Pumpkin spice was my least favorite spice girl. <laughs> <laughs> she sounds adorable. What are you talking about? Draw your pumpkin spice spice girl fan art and send it to me. Thank you. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.